Good to see all of you here today. As you know, we've been going through the book of Galatians. We've arrived to chapter 4. First three verses deal with the fact that we were in bondage. We were in bondage to the Old Testament law of Moses. We were in bondage to sin. And like the song says, many times in bondage to fear. But here's what it says. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differs nothing from a slave, although he is Lord of all. But he is under tutors and governors until the time appointed by the father. Even so we, when we were children, we were in bondage and slavery under the elements of the world. In bondage. The Israelites, too, were in bondage, weren't they, in Egypt. They went there in a beautiful way, but then eventually they became slaves. There appeared to have been a change of the Egyptian dynasty When Joseph came there, it was favorable, but later it was very unfavorable. The Israelites multiplied many, many, many Israelites, and the Egyptians feared a slave rebellion. They made them work, kept them under bondage, but God rescued them. And that's a picture of our rescue in the Lord Jesus Christ. As we sang, there is no other name whereby we may be saved. And then it goes on, verses 4 and 5. These are great verses, wonderful statements. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Notice the right time, the fullness of time. That was God's timing. Years ago, I was able to write a poem dealing with this. I shared with, with you maybe a year or two ago It's called The Time Was Right. As you see, it really fits into that verse there. The time was right. The time was right for Jesus Christ to be born that night. The time was right. The time was right. Shepherds watched their sheep that night. Shepherds heard angels' words that night. The time was right. The time was right. Some wise men saw his star that night and came to give their gifts a right. The time was right. The time was right for God to give his son that night a gift so true, a gift so true, a gift from God for me and you, the gift we need The gift we take, the time is right. 
the time is right. God has his timing. We often have our timing and we're often in a big rush to do things. But God knows the right time. And as I think of the life of Jesus, I don't really see him ever in a rush. <laughs> in fact, maybe even the opposite. But he was always right in God's time. He did what God wanted him to do. Now this reminds us of 1 Timothy 2.6. Here's what it says there. That Christ gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, meaning the right time, God's time. God has his timing in our lives and in things of the world and in his purposes. At his time, it will happen. Now back to that fourth chapter of Galatians, we find that not only God sent his son, Jesus, by the way, Jesus, as you perhaps know, means God is Savior. At the right time, God sent his son. The Bible is very strong in helping us understand that Jesus is God's son. Again and again, it talks about that. And it explains how important that is to know that he is the son of God. Then it goes on to say, he was made of a woman. Now that's a very interesting statement. Why so? Normally in the Bible, it speaks of the seed of a man, like Abraham's seed and so on. But here, an exception. Seed of a woman, very interesting. What it is, it's referring back to the book of Genesis, chapter 3. After the fall, God said this to Satan, verse 13 of chapter 3 of Genesis. I will put enmity between you, that is Satan, and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. Here it is, right at the beginning of the Bible, her seed. It shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So that's what it's talking about. In God's timing. He sent his son made of a woman. It was her seed. It was in fulfillment of this prophecy and promise of a redeemer who would come, the one who would liberate us from bondage the one who would save our souls, the one who would die for our sins and be raised from the dead, made of a woman. Also, it adds, made under the law. The Old Testament law of Moses was in effect when Jesus was born. And he perfectly fulfilled it. No one else could, although many tried. He never sinned, 
and he qualified to be, therefore, our Savior. God's Son, made of a woman, to be our Savior. An amazing thought. Then we go to the next verse, verse 5. Why? To redeem them who were under the law. That's the purpose. God's Son came from heaven. He was made of a woman. The purpose to redeem us. We need redemption. You think of a pawn shop. Somebody goes there and gets some money for an item. If they want it back, they've got to come and pay a bunch of money to the owner to redeem that item. And so that's like us. We need to be redeemed and saved, brought back to God. And it goes on to say that we might receive the adoption of sons. You see, we are adopted into God's family. Now, I know a little bit about adoption because, as you perhaps know, our two oldest sons were adopted by me. Their natural father, Bud Burke, went to heaven when he was only 25, very unexpected, and left his wife, June, who was 23 at the time, with two very small children, one of them still a baby, basically. God eventually brought us together. We got married, and I was able to adopt those two children, Carrie and Marcus. Carrie has worshipped with us many times here. Marcus and his family, some of them live up in Tahoe. And thank God, all our five children, we had five, three more afterwards, are Christian people and try to follow the Lord and do what he wants them to do. God came to redeem us. He did it through someone born from a woman fulfilling Genesis 3:15 and we are adopted as his sons and daughters then it goes on verses 6 and 7 and because you are sons god has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts crying abba father daddy Father, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son or daughter, you might say, then an heir of God through Christ. Speaks of the full experience of sonship, of adoption. From slavery we are taken out. Jesus put it very clearly in John chapter 8. Verse 36, he's talking about sin in the context there, and he says, If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Not only when you put your trust in him are your sins forgiven, but the power of Jesus is there to truly give you emancipation, liberty, freedom from bondage, the bondage of sin. We need to submit to him and take his power. And it talks here in these verses also about the Holy Spirit. 
Throughout the book of Galatians, we find mention in one way or another of the Holy Spirit. He is very important in our conversion and in our deliverance, in our salvation. Holy Spirit is importantly involved. Then we go on to the next two verses, eight and nine. Howbeit then, when you did not know God, you did service to them which by nature are not gods. But now, after that you have known God, or rather are known by God, how do, do you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements? Good question. Once you know God, why do you turn back to worthless things? So easy to do, to fall back into the old ways. The Galatians were encouraged not to do that. And they'd had some pretty bad old ways. We read about some of the terrible things they did back in the next chapter of Galatians chapter five. They need to not turn back to those old things. In Psalm 85, it reminds me of verse 8. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, because he will speak peace to his people and to his saints. But let them not turn again to folly. <laughs> Don't back, turn back to the old ways and they were pretty gross in many cases. We need to live the new life in the Lord Jesus. Going back to four of Galatians, chapter four, verses 10 and 11. Now this is a very, very interesting passage to me. Perhaps it will become one to you also if it already is not. He says, you observe days and months and times and years. I'm afraid of you lest I bestowed upon you labor in vain. They were freed from religiously observing certain kinds of days. And in the Old Testament, yes, there were days they were to observe. But now in Christ, they were freed from that bondage. They were freed from considering certain days of the month important, certain festivals at certain times, because these things are fulfilled in Jesus and we're under a new covenant instead of the old. I put my full trust in Jesus when I was 19. I went through some turmoil two or three days before. And then when I finally trusted him and stopped trusting what I had been depending upon and believing in, spiritualism, I remember even now very vividly the great peace that took the place of that great anguish I had been going through for two or three days. The peace was wonderful a wonderful peace. 
I became a true Christian. Shortly thereafter, a few weeks later, I was out working in the field and it occurred to me I might be a missionary. Then I thought I might be a missionary doctor. So I went to visit a doctor, lived in nearby town of Brea, and instead of talking a lot about what it would be to be a doctor, which is why I went there, he started trying to tell me I needed to keep Saturday, needed to keep the old Jewish Sabbath. And he showed me a verse, and it seemed logical the way he was using it, looking at it, and not knowing a lot of other verses in the scripture, and I want to share a lot of them with you at this time, I started keeping Saturday, this old Jewish Sabbath day. And I basically did that for about half a year, I guess it was. Most of that time, I was kind of, a lot of that time anyway, I was kind of wondering about it. Is, is this really necessary? Well, right here in verse 10, he chides them for going back to doing that kind of thing. Finally, I was released from that. This verse, Galatians 4.10, certainly speaks of the freedom we have in Jesus. But I mentioned to you before how that God, I believe, guided me in the scripture the last half of this chapter, beginning with verse 21. Now, we want to get into that next week. Therefore, I'm not going to read it and go into it today. That was a very important place where I believe God guided me to help me come free. The rest of chapter 4 and the first verse of chapter 5. But right back here in verse 10 was another great verse, another great passage to help me. Keeping those two passages in mind, let me share some other verses, some other statements of scripture that helped me become released from this. Mark chapter 2. Here's what we find in the last two verses of this chapter. Verses 27 and 28. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man himself is Lord also of the Sabbath. He's in charge of the Sabbath. And then go with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I remember one Sunday after I'd been a Christian for some time, I went into a church facility where I'd been worshiping and they happened to have the door open. It was an educational unit and I went into one of the Sunday school rooms and here's the passage that really helped me that day. Second Corinthians chapter three. Now the whole chapter is good but let's begin with verse six. 
who also made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, because the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, you see talking about the Old Testament there, was glorious so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look at the face of Moses because of the glory of his appearance, which glory was to be done away, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more the ministration of righteousness would exceed in glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect, by reason of the glory which excels. For if that which is done away, uh, talking about the Old Testament there, if that was glorious, much more that which remains is glorious. You see the glory in Jesus. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. And not like Moses, which put a veil over his face that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look at him to the end of that which is to be abolished. What's to be abolished? Talking about the Old Testament under Moses. But their minds were blinded, for until this day remains the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which is done away in Christ. It's so clear here, isn't it, when you really think about what it's saying. But even to this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it, the heart, shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, we are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. It says it's abolished. It says it's done away. It says, basically, we have freedom. We're not under the letter. We're under the Spirit. The letter kills the Spirit, makes alive. Great passage that helped me that day. Then go over to the book of Colossians. This is very much like Galatians 4.10 that we just looked at. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Let no man therefore judge you in respect to food or drink or in respect to a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbaths, the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. So it's saying these things are representative but the reality is the Lord Jesus. They point to him. 
Now you put that with Galatians 4.10 and you've got quite a combination. And it's so clear, isn't it? Shadow versus substance. Phantom, as it were, versus the reality. Another couple of verses that helped me, particularly the latter, is found in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. Hebrews 4, 9 and 10. There remains, therefore, a rest, or a Sabbath-keeping, to the people of God, because he who has entered into his rest, Sabbath means rest, he who has entered into his rest, he has also ceased from his own works like God did from his. God ceased from his works, as you know, the seventh day there it says. Well, when we become Christians, we cease from our own works in the sense we're no longer trying to justify ourselves by our good works. <laughs> We've seen these elsewhere in the scripture. We're not saved by works. We're saved by faith in the Lord Jesus. So we see here the Sabbath pictures the rest that we have in Jesus. It pictures the dependence and the rest that we find in him when we trust in him. We're released from bondage. We have a time of rest. And the Sabbath points toward the rest that we find in the Lord Jesus. Now, having said that, let's go back to Romans chapter 14. Maybe you've been thinking about that passage. Yes, that was important to me, I believe. Chapter 14 of Romans, chapters basically devoted to this issue of eating or not eating certain foods, and also it brings in a little bit about the days. Verses 5 and 6 say this. One person esteems one day above another. Well, that would be a Sabbath keeper or a person who thinks they need to religiously observe the Lord's Day, a Sunday, or Friday or whenever. One person considers one day above another, more important than another day. Another person considers every day, every day, every day the same. In other words, every day to be a day to live for God. Well, who's right? What does it say? Let everyone, every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. <laughs> so in other words, it's not one way or the other as it were but it's talking about those who are weak and those who are strong. Those who are weak in faith are presented here as those who observe certain days in a religious way. On the other hand, those who are presented as being strong are those who consider every day the same, every day a day to be lived for Jesus. But something very important I'd like to mention as we study this chapter, we discover that we as Christians are not to judge one another concerning these things. If someone wants to keep Saturday, that's between him and God. If somebody wants to religiously observe Sunday, that's between him and God. Friday or whatever day, 
Someone wants to eat pork, that's between him and God. Someone doesn't want to eat pork, thinks that's a sin, that's between him and God. So what do we learn from this chapter? Don't judge fellow Christians on the basis of these things, keeping days or eating foods. Don't let that break our fellowship. Let us continue to love one another even if we have different ideas concerning these neutral matters. These things were very, shall we say, traumatic for me to go through. But here's some of the verses and passages in God's word that were helpful. And I believe the important thing is not to judge one another in these respects, not to let it destroy fellowship with genuine Christians who believe in Jesus. And I remember something that happened when I was in seminary, went to seminary a couple years after I received the Lord and truly trusted him. My first year there, I'd been doing some hitchhiking and trying to share Christ with people. And one day I had to serve at a banquet that night at the seminary. And I thought God wanted me to go out and do some hitchhiking evangelism. It was dangerous even in those days, perhaps even more dangerous today. But anyway, I ended up at Loma Linda by Riverside. And it started to rain and I had to get back to serve at the seminary. And this was like 5.30 and the banquet was like 7.30. A Riverside to Covina area where the seminary was. And I remember a truck driver stopped when it stopped to rain. He took me into Riverside. And then at a certain intersection I walked to and I thought the Lord wanted me to hurry up across the street. And I did, I practically ran across the street and I almost jumped out in the street, put my hand out like that and the car just went right over to the side. I believe God wanted me in that particular car. Now, I don't remember ever doing something quite like that before or after, but that time that's what happened. And so I was with a young man, comes to find out he was on the road, he would drive right by the seminary. It would be maybe 45 minutes away. And by the way, I got there in plenty of time. But as we were talking, he mentioned about his upbringing. It dealt with keeping Saturday or Sabbath. And he asked me what I thought about it. I think he was a Christian, but he was wrestling with this issue. How did I respond? Maybe I should have responded with some of these verses that I'd studied and been helpful to me at that point. But instead, I basically told him the thing that is of number one importance is to make sure that you know the Lord, that you're a Christian, that you've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe that's the case. It's not these issues, it's our faith in Jesus that counts. And so that helps you understand my experience in coming to a freedom from keeping certain days and also of not eating certain meats.
Now let's go back to Galatians. Pick up with verse 12. Chapter 4, verse 12. Brothers, I ask you, don't be like I am, or be like I am, rather. For I am as you are. You have not hurt me at all. You know how that through weakness or sickness or infirmity of the flesh, Paul had something wrong with him. I preached the good news to you at the first. And my temptation, which was in my flesh, you did not despise nor reject, but you received me like an angel of God, even like Christ Jesus. Where is then the blessedness you talked about? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously affect you, but not well. Yes, they would exclude you that you might affect them. But it is a good thing to be zealously affected always in a good thing, and not only when I am present with you. My little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. In other words, you really start living like you should as a Christian. I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. Because they'd fallen back and done certain things and were thinking maybe that works of the law would help save them, and they had to be circumcised and so forth. Paul's affliction, what was it? We don't know 100% for sure. But as we read this passage, I'm of the opinion had to do with his eyes. Why would they have said, if possible, they'd have pulled out their own eyes and given to him when he's talking about his affliction in the flesh, a fleshly problem that he had, something with his body that wasn't working right. And you remember, too, at his conversion, how the bright light came and he was blinded for three days, well, that, you see, ties in with the thought that it was probably an eye ailment that persisted. But Paul, of course, <laughs> didn't like it. And sometimes people today have difficulties with their eyes, and there are difficult things to deal with. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he talks, we believe, about this problem that he had. Verse 7, Lest I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a, he calls it, a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, he said, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. He's saying this, this problem he had helped him be humble and not get all proud. For this thing, verse 8, I asked the Lord three times that it might depart from me. So here's the Apostle Paul praying for himself that this eye ailment or whatever it might have been, he'd be cured of that. 
and that's understandable. It's interesting, somebody asked me yesterday if it's okay to pray for herself, like physically, and of course it is. Well, here was Paul praying for himself. He wanted release from this thorn in the flesh, probably an eye ailment, that he might be humble. He prayed three times. Remember, God used him to heal other people. But what happened? Verses 9 and 10. And he, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, you got a problem? The fact that I'm with you and helping you, that's enough. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. When we have physical problems, we can feel weak thereby. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather rejoice in my weaknesses, my infirmities, so that the power of Christ may rest on him. Therefore, I take pleasure in weaknesses, in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. Because when I am weak, then I'm strong. That's really worth thinking about. Sometimes we have to deal with our problems. Sometimes it may be kind of a thorn in the flesh problem. And this is how it worked out in Paul's life. It helped him draw near to God and depend all the more on God. And it can work that way in our lives too. He even came to the point where he gloried in it. He was humble and it helped him in a spiritual way. Now lastly, what were his concerns? Well, in verse 15, <laughs> it talks about it back here in Galatians chapter 4. For we have not a... Galatians chapter 4. Where is then the blessedness of which you have spoken? And he talks about the eyes. But in verse 15, he goes on to say, been possible, you plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. So he's concerned about his physical concern. But in verse 20, I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. Paul was very concerned. He was very much into their spiritual welfare. He wanted them to have victory in Christ. He continued with that deep feeling, and of course he prayed for them very much, I'm sure. He loved them. And so God was working through him to pray, and we should love one another, and we should pray for one another. We should pray that God might help physically, and especially spiritually that we come away from any bondage that may be about us, that we have victory over fear. One of the things we find in the Bible many, many times that God tells his people, don't be afraid. And the reason that we can come to that point of not being afraid is because of Jesus. 
And we sang about him, and he's the only name under heaven whereby we must be saved. Well, I hope these thoughts will be of help to each of us, may draw us closer to truly trusting and depending on Jesus, not only for forgiveness, but for everyday guidance and help and presence. And again, the Holy Spirit, how important that is. In fact, not next Sunday, but a Sunday or two later, I want to talk about the importance of the Holy Spirit in chapter 5. May we bow in a time of prayer of commitment to Jesus. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful book. We thank you for the freedom, the liberation of which it speaks. We thank you that your son Jesus came and did everything that was necessary. He suffered for our sins on the tree. He rose from the dead. He is king over all. He is God. There is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God. May we truly, Lord, commit ourselves to you. May we truly, really depend on you. Not just as one little part of our religious life, but instead as our very life itself. Trusting Jesus, walking with Jesus, experiencing his freedom. Letting his light brightly shine through us. As he said, you are the light of the world. Thank you, Lord. We praise you, we honor you, we glorify you. In the name of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, born of a woman, our Savior. Amen.